not a kid, but maybe just a kid at heart, then you're with me for the next few minutes, and we're going to James chapter 2, uh, the epistle of James chapter 2, which as we have, have said is a what we call a general epistle. It's found in the general epistles, which uh, are right after the Pauline epistles, and uh, so you get Hebrews right before James, and so if you see Hebrews in your Bible, just keep turning to the right, and you'll come upon James. It's a small epistle, um, and yet a very, very important one. And uh, we said last week that James kind of has a way of punching us in the gut, uh, giving us a reality check. He lives where we live. He brings the gospel right into our living room, right to where we work, and and really begins to mess with us uh, in this way. He doesn't allow us, uh, we talked about, to, to just keep the gospel or keep the doctrine of the faith in our head. No, it has to go down into our heart and then produce works of our hands. That's where James is taking us. And that's where our scripture reading today uh, is taking us as well. So notice these words here in, uh, in James. And I'll read it um, for here so you, it'll be the same copy as you're as you will be seeing there. Also, we have Bibles there in front of you if you want to join us. So notice these words here in James chapter 2, um, verses 1 through 17. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and, a fine, and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you sit over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, uh, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but then you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also... Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So Lord Jesus, 
Bless this time of the preaching of your word from this sacred text that you have given to us and also given to us today, we pray in your name. Amen. Do you love Jesus? That's a good question. Do you love Jesus? You know, because that's kind of the... That's kind of the, the point, isn't it? Um, of all of what we do in our Christian life, of all the things that we read in the Bible, everything is aiming toward that question. Do you love Jesus? Here's what James says. If you love Jesus, then you won't show favoritism. In fact, that's the way he begins his... Uh, his well, you know, they didn't have chapters, right? But we designated chapter 2. And, and he begins chapter 2 here by saying like, Hey, if, if, do you not love Jesus? And, and I'm sure people are like, whoa, hey, of course I love Jesus. Why are you asking me if I love Jesus? Well, then why are you showing favoritism? Why are you choosing favorites? Why are you lifting some up and buddying up with some, but not with others? And of course, you know, that is an age-old problem and issue. But he then goes on down further and he says, listen... If you love your neighbor, why are you showing partiality? Don't you see how God himself does things? It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun rises on both the good and the evil. What he's talking about is what we call theologically common grace. That is the fact that you're breathing today. That's a gift of God. Like, that's a gift of God. You can say, well, I mean, oh, it's because my lungs are working right and I don't have COVID and I don't have this. Well, that's great, but guess who made your lungs? Guess who made the air? Guess who gave you a body? Well, my mom and dad. Who gave them a body? And then back it all the way up, right? To the first bodies that were created by God himself. You see, it's a gift. <laughs> and every day, I mean, you know... you. You should, in some sense, uh, you know, metaphorically or physically go outside and, and take it in for just a second. Breathe it in. Thank God for the day that he's given you. We're not promised tomorrow, are we? Unless I read things incorrectly. No, no, it's a gift, friend. Your life right now is a gift. It's a gift. And so is the next person to you. That means that God is allowing them to live right now. It also means that your enemy, the one who persecutes you or gets on your nerves or makes life difficult for you, God is also allowing them to live and breathe and be in your life. And James says, listen, if you love Jesus, you're not going to show favorites. You're not going to show partiality. No, these are things that are not like Christ. These are things that are not like God. And of course, there's a host of ways that we, 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 we do these things. Um, from racism to sexism to all the isms. We like our particular thing and we like our crew. And outside of that, eh, we circle the wagons a lot of times. And what the gospel calls us to is to actually get into the lives of the people that come into our life. Do you remember the, uh, the story of oh, the, uh, the Good Samaritan? It's a tough one to swallow, to be honest with you, because the priest comes and the Levite, these are the religious people. 
in their religious garb. And they don't want to quite get involved with that situation. And then comes, can I put it in today's terms? The Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon. Because guess who the Samaritans were? They were a cult of Judaism. They didn't have it right. Their theology was wrong. They worshipped in the wrong place. Jesus even says as much to the Samaritan woman. And yet Jesus chooses to use a Samaritan, a cultic follower, and says, which one did what was right? The good religious people, the priest, the Levite? And they had to begrudgingly say, I was a Samaritan. I'm sorry, speak up. It was the Muslim. Uh, what was that again? It was the Jehovah's Witness. Now, is Jesus saying their theology is right? Pfft, no. He, in fact, tells the woman, no, you're, listen, you'll worship in spirit and truth, and one day you won't even have to go to Jerusalem, but for now, you have to go to Jerusalem. That's where you worship. That's how you worship. No, he's not proving that point. He's saying what they did was right. This is where James lives, isn't it? Now, no, this is uncomfortable, okay? But this is where James lives is this. What you think and believe, it's going to come out. Now, follow this. That's, it's going to eventually jump out. Which means when we have stuff that surprises us, that jumps out, we need to go back to our beliefs. What do we really believe? Now, here's the thing. You can believe all the right things, James says. But if you don't have works, if you don't have fruit, if you don't have faith that works, then what? What's his language? It's dead. It's dead. Like, great, wonderful. You believe a monotheistic God? That's a big deal. To be honest with you, every religion that has ever been on the face of the earth was not monotheistic. Okay, so you know, people always talk about like, oh man, there's so many options with religion. It's just so cool to think about. It's like, no, there's not, actually. There's two big ones. Do you think nature is intertwined with the divine? Pantheistically, monistically, panentheistically, polytheistically? All of those are intertwined with nature. In other words, what they're saying is nothing is supernature. Zeus is not, Shiva's not. None of these gods of Hinduism or the Greeks or the Romans, the ones that would have been around when Jesus was around, none of these are beyond nature. No, no, no. There's only two options, really, nature worship or monotheism. Okay, that's why Moses' monotheism is such a big deal. And look, I can teach a whole class about it because I actually do. I'm not going to do it now. The point is, if you're monotheistic, that's, man, that is a right belief. That's huge. That's, that's ginormous. But it's not enough. It's not enough to be monotheistic. You actually have to be Trinitarian. <laughs> right? Which is why in our liturgy everywhere, and just listen today as we finish up things here in just a bit, you'll hear Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Multiple, why? Because that's what the Bible says. That's why. That's what God has revealed about himself. That's why when Jesus comes, he says, I came from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. And I have to go away so that I can send the Spirit. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, three persons, one God. James says, look, you believe in one God? Wonderful. So did the demons. What, do you want a cookie? Like, welcome to the show, man. That's the only God in town. Is the one God. But guess what? The deviation is the demons, they don't obey. They don't obey the one God. They have no works of righteousness, of doing what is right. They believe the exact same thing because that is the truth. There's only one God. But that isn't enough to simply believe it in your head and say, oh yeah, I got that right. Everybody else is just an idiot. Which is what we like to do. We like to think, oh, you know, I think and believe in what is right, which makes me right. James says, does it though? Because why are you showing partiality then? Why are you treating others differently? Including your enemies. Now, to be frank, James is thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus himself talks through, doesn't he? Favoritism. Do you remember? If you do good to others that do good to you, he's like, what's that? Gentiles do that. Everybody does that. Politicians do that. No, that's not enough. Instead, what we do is Jesus calls us to love our enemies and pray for them. So we think of partiality again, we always think of somebody else. But who in your life? I don't mean the racist next door or the, the bigot down the street. I mean you. Who are your favorite kind of people? We all have them. We all gravitate to them. Christ is saying, haven't I given you some people in your life that are difficult? Everybody can probably say, amen. Well, then, should we not love those people too? People that do us wrong, we don't then do them wrong. It was Jesus' principles, by the way, that were used in the civil rights movement. You spray us with water hoses, we're not going to spray back. You shoot at us, we're not going to shoot back. You beat on us, we're not going to beat back. The new movements need to learn from this. You don't fight fire with fire. No. Christ's kingdom, it's different. Christ's kingdom seems to us backwards. It's because we're blind. Didn't you hear it in the readings today? We don't know how to speak what is right because we don't hear. We don't listen. Do you love Jesus? That's a question you should really ask yourself. Do I love Jesus? Then why am I treating people like that? You know, I think one of the maybe more applicable places we could look in favoritism or partiality is when you go eat today or when you went and ate this week. If you got bad service, anybody received any bad service? 
ever? Your drink didn't get filled up, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. What was your response to that? Now I get there's a place to complain, you know? I like to complain every once in a while. Especially when I feel like things are really not right. But here's the thing. If we mistreat people, even in a circumstance like that, maybe especially in a circumstance like that, it kind of tells off on what we really are about. I'm bet- Who do they think that? I'm paying them to do this. Do, do you hear yourself in this? Do you hear myself in this? Christ is the one who dons the towel of servitude. When he comes, he says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Brothers and sisters, who are you serving in your life? Yourself? Just your friends? Those who make your life better? I'm here to tell you, Christ has put those difficult people in your life to make you better. To make your life better. I I know it sounds backwards. But if he's testing your faith, then that proves he loves you. It proves he loves you. If he's getting on to you, it proves you can hear him. Like, let's rejoice today, Lord, loud and clear. Don't stuff it down. Don't stuff your ears. No. Plug into Christ. Plug into the things of God. Bathe yourself in the purifying word. (laughs) You say, okay, well, I I, I hear you. Like, I I get it, you know. If you love Jesus, then you'll keep his commandments. I hear it, all right? But how do we know what to keep? How do we know what to do? Well, this is where the law comes into play. And of course, you know, for a lot of us, that's a, that's a dirty word, law. Rules. Like, this is, you know, this is America, man, you know? Like, we got rid of all that stuff. Don't tread on me. We fly it high, you know? And I, and I get it, like, I, that's, that's good and great for maybe government. But not the kingdom of God. Don't tell God, don't tread on me. Don't tell God, this is my body. No, actually, I thought we already dealt with that. It's God's. It was given to you. Tis. And he has claim over it. In fact, it's not a pulling back to say, this is mine. But rather, when Christ comes with his body, he also offers it to us. Isn't that what this entire meal is about every time we take it? He didn't stingily take when he got here. Instead, he gave. We do the same. We're called to the same. You know, um, have you ever heard children playing? 
most of us think when we hear that, like children playing, oh, yeah, that's a beautiful sound, you know, when children, come to my house sometime then. I don't know if something's wrong with our people, but, like, just come to my house sometimes, and if you hear kids playing, pretty much 100% of the time, it's going to end up in an argument. Now, maybe that's just a dag thing. I don't know. But around our house, it's going to end up in an argument. They start playing a game, gaga ball or football or wiffle ball or baseball. What, it doesn't matter what game it is. Maybe it's a made-up game. They're going to end an argument. Here's why. I figured it out. Uh, you parents can pay me later. Um, this is for free, I guess. But I'll let you in on a little secret. Here's why they argue. Don't have any rules. Or they're not following the rules. Now, I know a little bit about the rules of Gaga Ball, and I can hear them arguing. I'm trying to work on something. I'm trying to watch something, and I can hear the arguments in football. No, it was in. No, it was out. You know what they need? You know what would actually help is if we all hired a referee. I think it would make our life better, in fact. Someone to enforce the rules. And then you know what? They'd actually have fun. Then they wouldn't have to worry about this or that argument. You know what? The law works like that in our life. In other words, we get in all these squabbles about human tradition, this and that. I mean, there's a place for that. I was reading Titus personally this morning, devotionally, and Paul just says, look, don't even get into arguments like that. What's the point? Human tradition? Like, what's the final authority? If it's here... It's the final authority. If it's not, then hey, let's talk about it some more. If it's here, it's the standard. This is why it's called the canon, you know, which actually comes from a word that has to do with a measuring stick. Because it is the measurement of our life. I am not the measurement of my life. You're not the measurement of my life. This is the measurement of our lives. Because there's only one creator and God and Father. You know, the only reason we can even say, oh, they're a really bad father, is because there's actually a good father. Think about it. What do we even mean when we say bad father or bad mother? It means there is actually something good. There is an objective And the only reason we can even say, oh, you're not being a good father is because there actually is a good father who loves you. Who has given you your life, your family, your friends, your job. He loves to give us these gifts. And the worst thing we can do is grab them and say, this is mine. It's not the nature of God, and therefore it must not be our nature either. No, it's the law. That's how we can know. That's how we can know how we are to live. That's how we can know what kind of works we are to be about. It's the law. And we have to immerse ourselves in the law. You say, well, but the law, come on, man. Like, Old Testament law? Really? Like, why are you not dressed like that then? Why are we not sacrificing a sheep today? 
Well, because Jesus is the law of God. He's the Torah. And when he comes and even preaches the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember what he does? He goes, he goes you've heard it said, do not murder. Straight up, you know, sixth command, isn't it? Don't murder. He says, I say to you, if you have hate for your brother in your heart, you've already murdered. You write people off, you're already murdered. We can't give up on people. Say that again. We can't give up on people. I can't give up on people. We must not. God hasn't given up on you, has he? Praise be to God, he hasn't given up on me. Like, man, I'm a slow learner. Like, super slow. And can be hard-headed at times. And he's been patient with me. That means he's going to be patient with you. But we need to say to him today, Jesus, I love you and I want to obey you. I want to obey you. I want to know your law. I want to know who you are. You know, um, Dr. Yuri uh, was a teacher of mine and, and this other professor, uh, Friedman, was writing a catechism, you know, and, he, and he, taught, he got to the part where it's like, what is the law? And he put, well, it's a, it's a commandment to be obeyed. And Yuri, he asked him to look at it and critique it, and he did, and he said, no, 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 it's a, it's a commandment, yes, but it's a picture of God. That's what a commandment is. That's what the law is. It's a picture of God and a promise for humanity. Every law. That's very difficult to go through the laws of the Old Testament and see that. But as we put it all together, I can promise you, give your life to this work. What begins to emerge is a picture of God himself. It's a picture of the one that we say we love. Now let me ask you again, do you love Jesus? Yeah, okay. But have you ever seen him? This is how we see him. This is how we see him. This is his letter to us. And that's been one of the biggest critiques of the world. You say you love Jesus, you Christians, but you can't even tell me how you got your Bible. Didn't just fall out of the sky, so tell me about it. Uh, 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 uh. Now we can tell about movies and we can tell about maybe local politics and we can tell about this gadget or this because we researched it. We never even try here. Or worse, you leave it up to me to do. Or somebody at the church or your small group leader. Oh yeah, they, they do it and so we just, we just really trust them. Now that's great and grand and that is part of the design of your church that nourishes us. That's the whole point. God is our father and the church is our mother. But you need to know. He wants to show you his face. You say, well, but 
now you're saying like that we have to do all this stuff? Well, first of all, I'm not saying this. I'm trying to read James correctly. But secondly, you're right. You're right. Let's just stop for a second and make something clear. The works Christ called us to do not come before salvation. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you can't do the works of God. We can't expect, we're not placing what James is talking about here on unbelievers. They can't do it. In fact, we can't do it on our own. We have to have God's Spirit to help us obey. The call to be holy has to be done by the Holy One. There is no holiness in us. Only in Him. So if He's to share that holiness, it must be in Him. And He in us. Isn't that what Jesus prays in John 17? Famous high priestly prayer? Isn't what He... You abide in me and I in you. And then what? You'll produce fruit. Then you produce the works. Then works of righteousness and mercy toward others. You see, James knows he's talking to people who are highly versed in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, salvation happened this way. Do you remember? They're in slavery, under Egyptian slavery. They're not able to be free. What does God do? Come to them and say, hey, if you'll work real hard, then I'll let you out. No. No. Help me out. What does he do? Well, (laughs) he frees them. With mighty signs, he frees them from the grip of the Egyptian Pharaoh, who thought he was God. And God says, no, I'm actually God. Like you worship frogs? Eh, I'll give you a bunch of them. See how that goes. They cross through the Red Sea, their baptism, and enter into new life. But that new life, notice, was a desert. We think salvation looks like this. Oh, yeah, if I accept Jesus, then I'll be in the promised land. Well, have you read about the promised land in the Old Testament? It's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> They got there and it's like, oh, uh, other people are here. <laughs> and they don't like God. They had to move into the land. God gave them the land, but it was not without a fight. And even once they were in the land, everything wasn't hunky-dory. It's because we're not done yet, friends. Salvation, getting saved, being converted, being justified, regenerated by the Spirit, that's the beginning Then we walk with God. Then we begin to act like God and do the things of God. Do you see how this works? The law is not the way to God. It is the walk with God. The law, good works, it's not the way to God. None of us can work our way up to God. They tried that at the Tower of Babel. It's not going to happen. Instead, the works of God, that's how we walk with him. Because guess what he's about? Once we are in him, guess where he's going? If we're with him, guess where we're headed? To the least of these. To the lost. 
to the rich and the poor with no favoritism. His grace is given to all people. He calls all people to repentance. That means all as in all the ones that are in your life. Now, many of us, this can seem overwhelming, like, oh, so you're saying we need to go to Ethiopia and we need to go to India. and we need... No, I'm just saying the people that are already in your life need you to follow Jesus and do acts of goodness and works of mercy toward them. To share, to forgive, to show the love of God, his great mercy. How is it going to be shown if it's not through us? It won't be. So, we come to that place where we may, I hope, say, Lord, I'm going to need some help if that's true. I can't, I can't do this on my own. You know, most of us don't like to be told what to do. But I thought about this. We do like to be told what to do when we're in a bad place. When we're in dire need, we actually do like to be told what to do. In a minefield. If somebody's got a map, <laughs> I'm going to ask for that map. <laughs> My bravado's not going to get me through that minefield. I'd rather know where they were. No... When the Spirit of God comes into our life, we're going to cry out for his help. We're going to desire the pure milk of the word and the meat. Because we're not made just to keep sipping on the milk. We'll cry out for help. You know, last year, many of you know, I like to keep my lawn real nice. And I tried something different. A couple years ago, I tried to burn my yard, you know, because they said, hey, this will, like, you burn a piece of it, man, it's going to be super green. Ended up, that was true. However, in the burning, it got out of control. The wind picked up all of a sudden. I had a rake and, you know, a shovel, but it's just grass around. There's no dirt, you know, sand or anything like that. I didn't even have the uh, water hose pulled out, you know. This thing started spreading like crazy. And it started heading toward my neighbor's car and toward my house. And every time the wind blew, it would literally, the fire would jump. And I was scrubbing as fast as I could, screaming, help, help. And I was calling for Jackson and Jessica and Jesus and everybody else that I could. I mean, I was really scared. Uh, thankfully, two of my neighbors immediately jumped out of their houses and heard me yelling and came over and, uh, and, and helped me. My point is this. We don't really like to be told what to do until we're in bad shape. And that's maybe the point. Jesus didn't come for the well. For those who don't need him. For those who, I got it under control. I can do this myself. I don't need to ask for help. Yeah, un unfortunately, he did not come for you. He came for the sick. He came for the ones that can't do it on their own. And for some of us, maybe we need to get to that point where we don't have any other options. Counselor didn't work. Drugs didn't work. Friends didn't work. Family didn't work. 
My own knowledge didn't work. My own research didn't work. I don't know what else to do. Turn to Jesus. The living God. The one we say, I think we would say, we love. Turn to him. Ask for his spirit. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. No, we can never work our way up. It's impossible. But we can walk with him. We can be holy because he tells us as much. In fact, the passage that James is thinking about, Jesus says this, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And James in chapter one says, listen, I'm saying all this stuff so you can be perfect. It's the same word in Greek. It's just translated in James, whole, complete. In other words, he wants you to be complete. What does that mean? It means that what we think and what we do, it's the same thing, friend. It's the same thing. And what we do and what we think, it's the same thing. We're not a hypocrite, an actor. We're not false, but instead, he's made us one. Now, I'm saying you can't do that on your own. That's what I'm saying. I can't do it on my own. No amount of preaching, no amount of discipline, no amount of hard-headedness is going to get you there. It has to be his transformative grace. And that's what, that's what we're offering here today. Not a moralistic life. Not behavior modification. No. A new life. Another life. From out of this world. The triune God taking up residence in this temple. And then out of that temple, out of this tree, comes good fruit. Works of mercy. Works of service. Works of worship. Works of forgiveness. Do you love Jesus? Then obey his commandments. That's what he says. And that's a promise. That's a promise. He can make it happen in him alone. Would you come to him today? Repent of your sins. Allow him to correct your beliefs and therefore correct your actions. If so, he's ready. He's been waiting. And he's willing. Do you love Jesus? Then keep his commandments. In the name of the Father, Son, and by his power and the Holy Spirit. Amen.